Welcome to Sunday Morning at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Pastor Goss. We're in Inside Out, and we've been looking at this guy by the name of David. And the writer Luke in Acts says this about him, and as, as Peter's talking, God removed Saul replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do, inside out. It all begins with the heart. If the heart is right, you will do what God wants you to do. And so we've been looking at his life and what he's done and how he's operated. And over the last several weeks, if you've looked at that, you think, man, this guy's incredible. Well, I got news for you. David was human. And as humans, we have to deal with this thing called sin. And so we're going to look at this morning this issue and the sin in David's life. And one time, most famous time, is with Bathsheba. You know, deceived by sin. The story is there. We're not going to read it all, but you can go through it if you want to. And so, we're going to come to that place where we deal with that today. What do we do? Now, talking about it, I think, let's define sin, because sin is always deceptive. And in the original language, sin is simply this picture. You have a target with a bullseye, you shoot an arrow to it. If you don't hit the middle of the target, you've sinned. You're outside the target area. That's the literal meaning of the original word. But, you know, in our day, it seems like back in the 70s, what was wrong is no longer wrong in the 80s. And what was wrong in the 80s is no longer wrong in the 90s. And it just seems like stuff just keeps shifting and shifting and shifting. And so, what is sin? What does it mean? So, first of all, sin is going against the written word of God. In the Bible, oftentimes, that's called the law. What does the Bible say? Anytime you go against Scripture, it's sin. Well, but it's not relevant for today. Yes, it is. Because what was sin in the Bible back in today was also sin back in the 70s. It hasn't changed over the course of time and won't change. It's always the same. And so, the culture changes it gets farther and farther away from God, doesn't it? But sin is going against the written Word of God. It is also going against the warning of the Holy Spirit. Now, you see, if you're not a Christian, it's the written Word of God, the law. And the Bible says that if you're judged by the law, you're guilty because everyone's broken the law. Everyone's gone against God's Word. But as a Christian now, I have the Holy Spirit living within me, don't I? And so now the Holy Spirit adds to what Scripture says. And as I go through my day, the Holy Spirit says, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't act like that. And so I have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And anytime I go against what the Holy Spirit is saying to me, it is sin. Let's get some Scripture. 1 John 3, 4, everyone who sin is breaking God's law, written word, for all sin is contrary to the law of God, the Scriptures. 1 John 5, 17, all wicked actions are sin. James 4, 17, remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do. It's a sin to know what you ought to do, 
and then not do it. You haven't done anything wrong. You just haven't done anything right. Again, listening to the Holy Spirit. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say to you, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. You're guilty of sin. If you call someone an idiot, and that's not just that simple word, there's a whole meaning behind that, you are in danger of being brought before the court, and if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. In other words, your attitude towards people. Proverbs 21.4, haughty eyes, a proud heart, evil actions are all sin. 1 John 2.15, do not love this world or the things of the world. Don't love the things that it offers to you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. James 2.8, yes, indeed, it's good when you obey the royal law, What's the royal law? Love God with all your heart and all your soul, as found in Scripture. Also, like it, similar to it, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law, the written word. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. Now, that's a pretty clear definition, right? This is what's sin. You and I don't get to make up the definition of sin. God's Word's already given it to us. You and I aren't the ones who get, well, I think this is a sin and this isn't. Or here's a good one. This is just a little white lie. It's not as bad as a big lie. Sin is sin. And so when we talk about deceitfulness of sin, it comes in so many shapes and so many sizes. So we're going to look at David, what he went through, and then how do we deal with it as in our world today. First of all, let's look at what sin does. Look at what sin does. Sin is a constant threat. Every moment you live, sin is a threat to you. Why? Because Satan does everything that he can do to get you to go against what God wants. And so he's always devising ways. We call it temptation. Temptation is not a sin. Giving in to the temptation is. It's a constant threat. Notice 2 Samuel 11.1. In the spring of that year, when the kings normally go out for war... David sent Joab of the Israelite army to fight the Amorites. Now, right here we have a little thing. Maybe David should have been there. We don't know. They destroyed the Amorite army, laid siege to the city of Rabbath. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, well, I need to incorporate that into my life. You know, after the midday rest, that sounds like a good deal to me. David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace, and as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of of unusual beauty taking a bath. David didn't go looking for her, but Satan made sure he saw her, because sin is always a threat. 
You're going about your day, you're doing your normal routine, and suddenly this little thought crops into your head to do something you know you shouldn't do. This thought crops in to go somewhere you shouldn't go. You're just going about your routine and day, and suddenly, there it is. It just happens. And you and I have to understand, even as Christians, there is always the threat of sin. Satan always is doing everything he can to put it in front of us to tempt us. And David's just taking a walk. You are always vulnerable to sin. Secondly, sin compounds. It compounds. Once sin happens, it doesn't just stay there. It always grows. It just keeps getting larger. It just keeps getting bigger. It's almost like a narcotic. You start with just a little bit, and after a while, you need a little bit more, and then a little bit more. Here's what happened in David's life. There was sight. He saw. He paid attention. He should have, when he saw, had the sight, he should have walked away, right? But he paid attention. There was attraction. Wow, look at that. There was lust, there was adultery, and there was murder. Sin compounds. It never stays innocent. It never stays small. It grows. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. We know this story. David had an affair with her, had her husband killed because she was pregnant with a child. And so he wanted to make sure that, you know, he was covered. So he brought the guy home from the military, and he went and go in with his wife. And rather, he said, look, I won't do this because none of my other fellow soldiers can, and I'm going to be loyal to them. And goes back, and David said, well, since he wouldn't do that, I'll just have him killed. And David then has him murdered and marries her. From this time on, Samuel's confronting David, by the way. Your family will live by the sword And because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. And I'll talk about this in a little bit more because sin is always going against God. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you've done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. Later on in Scripture, this happens, and it's his son who does this. You did it secretly. I'll make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. David, I'll disgrace you because of this. Verse 14, your child will die. Now, the consequences to sin are not always immediate. You don't always have sin and then immediate consequences. They happen down the road sometimes. But sin will have some control over your future. And sin doesn't always just affect the people involved. Sometimes sin affects people who are innocent. David's family is innocent, but it affects them, doesn't it? If you're a parent and you've had children, you understand how your children can do something, and even though you're innocent, you're still hurt by it. You still get that and understand that. 
Now, if we're not careful, what we do is begin to question God. God, how could you do this? This isn't fair. This isn't right. They're innocent. They didn't do anything. And we get caught up in that whole scenario. And instead of going down that road, why don't you and I just stop for a moment and begin to seek to understand the devastation of sin? Look at how sin destroys. Look at how sin's consequences hurt us. Sin is destructive. Now, here's the great thing, though, as a Christian, I have to keep in mind. Sin will destroy. Sin will have consequences. But we still serve a God of forgiveness. I've used the illustration before. Let me just use it again. You go in and rob a store, and in the process, you kill someone. You get caught. You're going to go to court. You're going to go to jail. You ask God to forgive you. God will forgive you but you'll still be in jail. But God is gracious to us. Notice what Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry with us forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Notice Psalm 103. Who's writing that? David. He understands, okay, I didn't get everything I deserved. God is merciful to us. God is good to us. But sin always has consequences. And sin shows contempt for God's Word. Here's what the prophet says to David, 2 Samuel 12, 9. Why then have you despised the Word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? You have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Amorites and stole his wife. Nevertheless, because you have shown other contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. You see, sin always is against God, isn't it? Hello? The answer is yes. I don't just sin innocently and it's just me. Sin is always saying, God... I would rather have my pleasure and my way than be obedient to your word or to your spirit. That is always how sin operates. That is always what sin does. And so you and I have to understand sin has consequences. Sin is a hard thing. It just keeps growing, becomes bigger and greater. It's never just a small little thing. It's never a one-time thing. It always affects other people. And you and I have to understand that sin is a constant threat to our lives. But the great news of the gospel is this. No matter what you've done, you can recover. No matter what you've done, you can be forgiven. And so I want to talk to you just for a few more minutes about how to recover from sin. What do you do when you've been caught in sin? What do you do when you recognize, hold it, this is wrong. Hold it. God, I'm sorry. Hold it. I've done this. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have acted like this. I shouldn't have thought this. I shouldn't have had this attitude. I shouldn't be this way. What do you do? Number one, you confess your sin with an honest heart. You confess your sin with an honest heart. In other words, you come to a place where you say, God, it's me. It's me. 
David, 2 Samuel 12, 13, David consists, uh, confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. No rationale, no reasoning, but David, but prophet, you don't understand. Samuel, you just don't get it. You don't know. You don't know what I went through. No excuses. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for your sin. Wow. God's forgiven me. Because why do we die? We die because we've sinned, right? Person sins will die. Nathan says, look, God's forgiven you. That's a great thing to do. But before you can have God's forgiveness, you have to be honest enough to say to God, God, I have done this and I am guilty. Now, one of the most beautiful psalms in all the book of Psalms is Psalm 51. It's David's prayer. It's David saying what happened, what he's feeling, what he's going through after he confesses. Here's what he does. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me, O God. Clean me from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. Remember, I went against God. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. No blaming everybody, anybody else. No saying, well, God, I wouldn't have done this if it hadn't have been. God, I did this, and I did this against you. I have done what is evil in your sight. God, I've done what's wrong in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. I was born a sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. Before you des- but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me. I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. There is not a sin that God won't forgive. And David says here at the end, God, if I'll come to you, and if I'll be honest with you, and if I'll come and admit my guilt to you, you will receive me, and you won't reject me. And if I ask for forgiveness, you will forgive me. That's great news. You don't have to keep begging God 
All you have to do is say, God, I'm guilty. I've done wrong in your side. I've went against your word. I've went against your spirit. And God, I am sorry. I'm sorry. And if you pray that prayer from a sincere heart, God will forgive you immediately. So it begins with coming to that place where I am willing to confess my sin with an honest heart. Then I have to receive God's cleansing forgiveness. Now here's the problem. So many people keep beating themselves up. Oh man, how horrible I am. How rotten I am. How bad I am. You know, oh man, this is horrible. Oh, and you live for years. Oh, I wish I'd never have done that. I did that. It just still keeps haunting me. You have to come to that place where you are willing to receive the forgiveness that God wants to give to you. You ask Him. You honestly ask Him. He forgives. Now you need to move on. Notice what David said in Psalm 51, 14. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. God forgave me. Thank you. Now, mentioned it a week or two ago. Satan will keep beating you up. He will keep telling you how bad you are. He will keep saying to you how you can't recover and how you'll never get over this, and how you've gone too far and done too much. That's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, look, you ask, God forgives. Isaiah 1 verse 18, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, though you're as guilty as can be, I will make them as white as snow. Though they were red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. I'll change you. I'll erase it. You have to receive the forgiveness that God gives to you. Don't keep beating yourself up. Accept the forgiveness of God that he offers. Thirdly, make the necessary changes in your life. You know what led you to that point. You know where your weakness is. Now, here's what we know. Scripture teaches us this. Every person in the room has a certain area that you're weakest in, a certain temptation that you deal with more regularly than others. You should be aware of that. You should be aware of what triggers that. In David's case, hey, I went here and this happened. Maybe what I need to do is not go back on the roof again. Maybe what I need to do is stop going to that place. Maybe what I need to do is be careful of that thought. And so you make the necessary changes in your life. You do what you need to do. Here's what... Luke writes in the book of Acts chapter 26, I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God. Now here's repentance. And prove that they have changed by the good things they do. Repentance is not just admitting you're guilty. Repentance is, I admit my guilt and I make the changes I need to make so that I cannot do this 
again. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, I'm glad I sent it, a letter he sent to them, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and to change your ways. It was that kind of sorrow God wants his people to have so you're not harmed by sin in in any way. For this kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in death. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry I got caught. I'll have to be better at it next time. Godly sorrow is, I sinned against God by doing that. I don't want to ever do that again. You see the difference? Big difference. Worldly sorrow says, okay, yeah, you got me. You know, I regret that I did that. I I hope I, you know, it's just kind of, it, it happened, and it wasn't my fault, and you don't understand, and kind of makes excuses, and yeah, okay. Godly sorrow says, God, I know this is wrong, and I know this is against you, and I know it hurts you. And God, I want to stop this. Help me change my life so I don't do this anymore. You make the changes that need to be made. That's repentance. So you make the necessary changes in your life, and then you allow God to continue to accomplish his purpose through you. I've got great news for you today. God's not done with you. Well, you don't know what I've done. God could never use me because of what... Oh, no, 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 no. God will still use you if you will repent, if you'll be honest about it, if you'll come before God, if you'll make uh, the changes that need to be made, God still wants to use you. Well, I've done this, and so that disqualifies me. No, it doesn't. God still wants to use you. Now, the amazing thing about this whole story is how God uses this. 2 Samuel 12, 24. David comforted Bathsheba, his wife slept with her, she became pregnant, gave birth to a son. David named him Solomon, the Lord loved the child, sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, as the Lord had commanded. So they have this son by the name of Solomon, who becomes the next king, the son of Bathsheba. We go into the New Testament where the writer lists the genealogies of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, Jesse, the father of King David, was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. I can't get into that. That's beyond my grade. That's just incredible, isn't it? how God would still use this mess for his purpose and for his glory. And if God can use that mess, he can use this mess and this mess and this mess and this mess, no matter what. That's the God that we serve. That's the God's desire. Hey, Okay, you were deceived by sin. Handle it correctly. Deal with it properly. I've still got things for you to do. I still want to use you. It's not over. 
It's not done. You're not disqualified. You can go on from here. I've got great things still in store for you. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't go away. Don't beat yourself up for the rest of your life. Allow God's forgiveness to come into your life so that you can do what God wants you to do because that's what God does. So this morning, I don't know where you're at with this. Maybe you've done some things that as we've said here and talked, you've recognized, you know what, it's wrong. I've sinned. I know it's against God. Would you come to that place where you're willing to come to God and say, God, forgive me? And I know I can be forgiven, not because I deserve it, but because you died on a cross for me. And your blood cleanses me from my sins. And you ask Christ to come into your heart. As Christians, we think, God, I'm sorry. I want to please you. I want to honor you. I want to do what's right in your sight. Forgive me. What happens when we ask? God forgives, doesn't he? God restores, doesn't he? And I get to go on and rejoice. So this morning, don't listen to that little voice inside that's saying, no, that can't happen with you. No, you've gone too far. You know, you know, if you do this, you're just mocking God. You're just saying things. You know you'll go do it again. Don't listen to the enemy. God's here today to let you know I'm ready to forgive you in a moment. If you'll be honest with me, if you'll come to me, I'll forgive you and I'll restore you and I will use you. That's the God that we serve. Let's pray. Lord, today we thank you. There's just such a great, loving God. And that, Lord, you don't give us what we deserve. We deserve far worse. And I thank you today that you hear our words. You hear our hearts. And so, Lord, as we are taking a moment to be honest before you, asking you to hear our cries, coming before you with an honest heart, asking for forgiveness, knowing that if we ask, you hear and you forgive. And Lord, may each one experience that joy that comes from being forgiven. And the Lord will make the changes in our life that we need to make to honor you. Because God, we still want you to use us as you desire. Thank you for being a forgiving God. We give you praise for it today. In thy name, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Sunday morning at 8.15 and 10.45 a.m. 
Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next week for Sunday Morning. Faith Assembly Sunday Morning is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.